Last week, we talked about the transition that our country is facing with reopening during COVID-19. And we said that some things that are going to impact our response to this transition really are some underlying principles that will that will greatly impact that that response. And um, I sort of thought that last week was going to be a one off message and then we would continue on with a new topic this week. But as I continue to watch the news and see the videos and read the articles and sort of see the breadth of what is happening across our country this week, on top of seeing the pain and the sadness and the despair of our sisters and brothers of color, it seemed like that would be tone deaf to continue on with a different topic. So today we're going to look at the transition that we're facing in our country with racism and discrimination. And really, I think some of the principles that we talked about last week in the transition of COVID-19 are also going to come into play with our response to the transition of racism and discrimination. And so I want to quickly recap that. Basically, we said that there's three principles that are going to impact our response. The three principles are freedom, uh, responsibility, and fear. And we ask a question or a question of each one of those that would sort of help determine if our response is appropriate. And particularly for those of us who follow Jesus, we really think this is significant because our response is going to reflect something about these principles. But more importantly, our response as Jesus followers is going to reflect something about Jesus. And does it accurately reflect Jesus? So here are the three questions we asked. Do we want our response to reflect a self-serving freedom or a freedom that is willing to sacrifice just like Jesus sacrificed? Do we want our response to reflect an unloving obligation or responsibility to love like Jesus? And then lastly, we said, do we want our response to reflect our fear of physical harm or losing control? Or do we want our response to reflect our faith and our confidence in a God that is so much bigger than anything in this world? So today we're gonna to spend a short amount of time now and probably more in the coming weeks and in the coming months ahead, um, talking about this transition that we're facing in our country around racism and discrimination. And when the church began 2000 years ago, there really was an extraordinary division in the early church. And it was sort of between five different groups of people. And the first group was the Jews, who the Jews sort of looked down on everybody. They sort of felt like they were better than everybody. The Gentiles were the next group, and they sort of saw and felt that the Jews thought that they were better than everybody. Then the third group was slaves, that there were slaves who were slaves. The fourth group was freedmen. The, the freedmen at one point were slaves, and they'd either bought or they'd earned or they'd sort of behaved their way out of slavery. The problem was that they were never respected by the slave owners, even though they had citizenship. And the slaves despised the freedmen because they were free. And then the last group, the fifth group was women, who basically had no rights and no freedom in the culture of that time. And so interestingly, all five of these groups or people from all five of these groups would follow Jesus. And all, similarly, people from all five of these groups would also gather together in the same churches together. That there'd be owners and there'd be slaves. That there'd be slaves and there'd be freedmen. That there'd be Jews and there'd be Gentiles. And there'd be men and there'd be women together in the church. And somehow this early church managed to deal with and work through all their differences and their extraordinary amount of division, sort of on every little different level of financial, uh, geographic, um, culturally, uh, socially, and with the whole idea of majority and minority being a, a significant factor as well. And so I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse into how bad it actually was, because I think that can give us hope for today. Because when we look at our current situation, it just sort of seems like a cycle, and you really can't determine if there's actually been any progress. And yet 2,000 years ago, the church was central to a solution. We're gonna look at a significant part of Peter's story today. If you're Catholic, Peter is the first Pope. 
If you're not Catholic, Peter is the leader of the church in the first century. And if you're not so sure who Jesus is or you're still kind of figuring out, Peter actually had times where he wasn't so sure who Jesus was as well. And about 10 years after Jesus' resurrection, really Peter has sort of experienced everything. Uh, he walked with Jesus, he, he heard Jesus' teaching, he saw Jesus perform miracles, and then he saw Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. That Peter actually looked into an empty tomb and he had breakfast with Jesus after the resurrection. And on top of that, Peter also was there when people were filled with God's Holy Spirit. But about 10 years after the resurrection, Peter still dislikes Gentiles. That as a Jew, he sort of felt like Gentiles were inferior. Like God loved them, yes, but God doesn't love them as much as God loves me, Peter would say. And so one day, God actually interrupts Peter's quiet time. And he sort of comes to Peter and says, Peter, I want you to do something. I want you to go with these men who have come to your house, and I want you to go up the coast, and I want you to go and tell them about Jesus. The problem was that this meant he was going to have to go into a Gentile's home, and he was going to be talking with Gentiles. And on top of that, the person that he was going to talk to specifically was a Roman centurion. He was a Roman soldier. He was a leader of the Roman soldiers. And so it's one thing for the Jewish people that Peter came from, his, his family, didn't like the Romans because they were sort of oppressive. But on top of that, as a, as a Christian now, the Romans were the ones who were responsible for killing Jesus. And yet, Peter's invited to the home of this guy named Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion. And the passage that we're going to read today really should sort of illustrate how deeply divided the church was. But they were able to move past it. The early church really didn't love all the little children of the world. They really had a big divide in the early church. And what we're going to look at today is one of the ways that they addressed this in the early church. And sort of, again, Peter is invited into the home of Cornelius. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 if you want to follow along. We'll have the notes on the screen, also in the Bible app or in the, the chat feature as well. So Acts chapter 10, we're going to read just two verses today and we'll kind of continue on. Verse 27 is where we're going to start. So they talked together, Peter and Cornelius, this, these two men, they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. And so basically Cornelius calls together his close friends, he calls together his relatives, and he wants them to hear from this guy, Peter. And what Peter says next is definitely something you shouldn't say out loud. We would say you shouldn't even say it at all. And I want to pause for just a moment and say, what we're going to read next is actually one of the reasons I think that the Bible is true. That if Peter, or all the other accounts, including this account of Peter, and all the other accounts in the scriptures, if they were just sort of made up, you wouldn't include what's written about Peter in that account. That this would just make somebody look too bad. It makes Peter look too bad that Peter would not have allowed this to continue to, to stay in the account if it wasn't true. Because on top of that, we've all sort of seen people delete uh, Twitter, Twitter accounts or delete, delete tweets or delete posts or delete their whole social media account because there was some sort of incriminating photo or stupid comment or just bad PR. And yet we find that this was left in Luke's account of what Peter said. So we think it's actually true. And so this is how stupid and, and the bad thing that Peter said. Peter said this in verse 28. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. And I just want you to pause for a second and imagine this used to be the case. And this is just the beginning or this is just the start of the conversation Peter is having with this Gentile audience. But Peter acknowledged this thing because everyone already knew this thing. And I want to pause. This might be one of the biggest subpoints I've ever made in the message before that Peter acknowledged what everyone else already knew, that there was racism, there was some sort of divide amongst these people. He continues on, he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. 
That basically, in other words, Peter's saying like, right up until this moment, um, I used to think that, that you were unclean and that you were impure, but now God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone those things. I shouldn't think anyone of those things. And this Gentile audience and this Roman soldier specifically must be thinking, oh, well, I feel so much better now, Peter, that you think that. Like, so God had to show you this? And I think the response that these people might have had is something similar to maybe some of you are feeling, some of our brothers and sisters of color. Like, I, I think that God showed you this, but it's a little bit hard for me to actually believe that you are going to live differently because you've spent your whole life up until this moment believing that I was impure, that I was unclean. And, he, and Peter says that God has shown him. And what I think Peter means is that God had to do something inside Peter before Peter could finally get it. That God had to show him something that he could see something differently so that Peter could actually act differently after that. And it took God showing Peter before Peter finally got it. And for some in this world, it might take God having to show them directly before they finally get it. That God has to expose things inside of us at times before we can actually change. And the powerful thing about this specifically is that um, several years later in Acts chapter 15, there's a big gathering of the church and the church is trying to sort of unhitch from an Old Testament way of viewing people that really was a division between Gentiles and Jews and they're sort of trying to get away from that. And really if that meeting hadn't happened, none of us really would be here today. If, if God hadn't shown people like Peter that there is something bigger than being Jewish, that there's something bigger than Judaism, that there's something bigger than being a Roman, that there's something bigger than being a slave owner, and there's something bigger than being a man. And for those of us in power right now, for those of us in the majority, I think there might be something that God wants to show us as well. That there's something bigger than being white. That there's something bigger than being wealthy. That there's something bigger than being educated, and there's something bigger than being a man. And I say all that to say, there's hope. That this story can bring us hope. Because while there seems to be so many unanswerable questions, and there seems to be a reasonable doubt and objections to whether this season of change is actually going to result in change, it did change once. And the church was central to the fact that in some ways we're actually the products of that change 2,000 years ago. But it started 2,000 years ago not in culture. And it started 2,000 years ago not in society, not in Jewish or Roman society. It started 2,000 years ago not even in the government. It started 2,000 years ago in the church. Specifically in the hearts and the minds of the church leaders. And as the church sort of grew in influence, there sort of gained, there sort of grew this sense of unity amongst people who had very little in common with each other. And so this is a big deal of what we're talking about. And when you look at what's happening in culture and wonder what's going to happen or wonder what's really going to make a difference, we know that the church can make a difference because the church did make a difference. The problem though is that prejudice and racism really are hard to see in the mirror. Because it's not something on the outside you can see, it's something that's hidden in our hearts. And they camouflage themselves as, well, that's just my values. Or that's just the way that I was brought up. Or that's just the way that I was um, raised. Or that's just my culture. That's just my taste. But I want to ask you to do what, what Peter actually had happen in his life. Would you ask God to show you something in your life? But God has shown me that I should no longer call or think of anyone as impure or unclean.
So would you ask God to show you today? God, would you show me who I should think differently about? Like, I feel like I sort of got this thing a little bit figured out. I'm sort of good with this. But would you help me to spot racism? Would you help me to identify prejudice in my life? And then God, would you help me to spot it? Not only spot it, but would you help me to stop defending it? And God, with your help, would you give me the courage and the wisdom to eradicate it from my heart? That we really think that the reason that the church should be at the epicenter of this discussion is because only in the church are we taught that anytime we look someone in the eye, we're looking at someone made in the image of God. And I can't mistreat someone made in the image of God and think that I'm okay with God, just like you can't mistreat my kids and think that you're okay with me. So to quote one of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley, the church has the leverage, the church has power, and the church has the message to deal with this. What the church doesn't have is an excuse.